everybody, welcome back to We and You, where we talk about the Kentucky Commission on Human Rights and a little bit about what's going on in our area. I am Terrence Sullivan. And I'm Brittany Cook. We're broadcasting from beautiful downtown Louisville here in the historic Hayburn Building. Hey everybody, today we have another special guest, Miss Karina Cash. Karina, say hi. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Terrence. <laughs> Thank you for joining. Uh, we, I wanted to have Karina on to talk about her organization where she's working and some of her other thoughts really on food insecurity in Kentucky. And I did not know this, but I learned it the other day um, listening to her watch a committee hearing that she seems to know everything there is to know about uh, food insecurity and programs to help with that. Is that a fair summary? That is definitely not accurate. Um, the USDA is a <laughs> massive, sprawling organization, and there are so many programs in the USDA that I probably know a third of them. A third is more than most people. You knew way more than I did. <laughs> so just starting off, um, Tell us a little bit about you and then about your organization. Yeah, so like you said, my name is Corinna Cash. I am a native Kentuckian from Claremont in Bullitt County, um, born and raised. I went to Xavier University, graduated from there in 2020. I don't know why I hesitated because it was literally four months ago yeah, you think that you I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a crazy four months, I must say. Um, so I graduated from Xavier with a degree in philosophy, politics, and the public, which is a long way to say political science. Um, <laughs> don't know why Xavier That's put so many... That's very Xavier of, of them. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Three whole words just to say political science. Um, but I had a lot of... Xavier was actually really fun. I worked on bail reform while I was at Xavier. I worked on mental health reform. I did stuff on foster care and education with Terrence, actually at his old life <laughs> um and now i work for an organization called feeding kentucky i'm the advocacy coordinator there um feeding kentucky is uh the largest charitable response to hunger in the state of kentucky we represent kentucky's seven food banks uh 800 plus pantries and we work with all kinds of partners across the state from nonprofits to schools who are working to address food insecurity in the commonwealth um we do a lot of things, but the main things we do, we do a lot of grants to schools, um, pantries, food banks. Uh, we do legislative advocacy, and we do work to form a lot of partnerships. So where is your office, or where's your agency headquartered? Uh, our office is in Frankfurt, but I've been to the office twice, so my office <laughs> yeah. is in Louisville. <laughs> I thought about that as I asked the question. It's every Most people's office is wherever their bedroom is, and living room and kitchen and wherever there's a solid space for a computer or a phone or something like that um so that answers the next question i had for you then is how long you've been there i've been there since august i started there the week before i graduated xavier and what because i you know i know personally that you've worked on other things and you worked on other things when you were at xavier with your 10 word program <laughs> that you were in but what 
what got you into doing the work there? Yeah, so I've been interested in advocacy for a really long time. So whenever I was five years old, I have a little brother who died at a month old. Um, he was born with a hole in his heart and sadly passed away doing open heart surgery. Um, after he died, my mom was obviously crushed and she's trying to figure out like, how do I be a mom and how do I take care of a family while also grieving my own personal loss of my son and like recognizing that my kids and my husband are grieving the loss of their son and brother. Um, and she got pretty into advocacy work and organizing. Um, she organized a memorial walk for kids or for families who had lost children uh that still goes on to this day not this year this is the first year it hasn't happened since 2005 um Understood. for obvious reasons <laughs> um she also started a program where she um gifted bears to women whose children had just died in the hospital full of resources that so that mothers knew what kind of resources there were to kind of grapple with the trauma of losing their child and learn to cope and move on with it um, and then she also did some small advocacy work. I know, like, Infant Loss Awareness Day, she had, she worked on a resolution for that. Um, so just kind of watching my mom kind of turn her trauma and her grief into something really positive for the community and something really positive that's affected a lot of women and families all across Kentucky is how I got into advocacy. Um, and then as I got older, I just grew more and more interested in government and politics, and I got really involved in foster care in child welfare work when I was 17 so kind of been in it ever since so first off um, really sorry to hear that um, we talked to Charles Booker on probably the second show that we had about people using trauma to create power and that sounds like something that your mom has really done um, on that note, we're just going to end here with Corinna and kick her out, and we're going to go get her mom instead because her mom is apparently the cooler one. <laughs> so, see ya. Uh, but no. Probably is. <laughs> Probably more interesting. No. Um, but, so, getting into your love of advocacy work, what then got you into food insecurity and just some of that work? Yeah, so for a long time, I was really... Um, kind of focused on child welfare and foster care. How do we take care of kids who have been taken out of their homes, who are in like one of the most traumatic situations kids can possibly be in, and how do we ensure better outcomes for them? Um, and then I interned with Kentucky's Advocates one summer, and during that summer we were doing these Family First Preservation and Service Act summits across the state in collaborations with the Cabinet for Health and Family Welfare health and family services getting it there's so many acronyms they get it all confused in my they head really do. Um, it's a big pot of alphabet soup i just need to make a quizlet to get yeah, on it probably should everyone should um but while we we're working on those summits so basically the family first preservation service act was this really awesome piece of federal legislation that allowed some funds that states were using for foster care to be used for family preservation services and i think like going through those summits and hearing former foster youth and organizations that are working every day with foster youth um, and families kind of really changed my perspective on how we should be approaching child welfare and how we should be approaching things like foster care. Because uh, it's really important and to take care of kids who are in foster care. It's really important to improve the foster care system. Um, there's always going to be kids in foster care and there's always going to be a need for that system. Um, however, it's almost always better to keep kids in their home of origin. It's all like the least traumatic thing you can do is keep kids in their homes with their original parents. Um, so it kind of really shifted my focus from how do we take care of kids who are already in the system to how do we keep kids out of that system? And that includes how do we support families and how do we make sure families have the resources that they need to really thrive? 
Um, and one of the most critical resources there is food. You know, the term hangry is there for a reason. If you, <laughs> if you're hungry, you can't focus the way you need to at your job. You can't interact with people. You can't be the best parent you possibly can. You can't be a good um, friend and family member. Um, I mean, if you're hungry and you're focused on how do I put food in my kid's mouth and in my own, like you're not making those community connections that is so vital to parents. No, um, I, I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, I know from personal experience, it's really hard going to school as a student when you haven't eaten for a week. Um, coming back from a break sometimes, it's like, man, I'm excited to go back to school because now I know I get to eat. But other than that, it's like, I don't really want to be here because I'm tired and, like you said, hangry. Yeah. And so, no, I think that's really good, a good perspective to use for um, addressing some of this work. Sorry I cut you off. I was just thinking about in the past of how difficult it really is um, that some people don't quite understand how much being food secure uh, changes your outlook on life. Really. No, I mean, definitely. I think that's something the pandemic's really brought to life because so many, especially our child feeding programs are concentrated in schools. Like schools are such a vital lifeline for kids to eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, and really get all those meals. And before this, there was like that weekend gap. Like a lot of kids, yep. the meal they ate on Friday would be the last meal they ate until Monday. But now it's like kids haven't been in school since March. And for a lot of families, those school meals haven't necessarily been replaced or they've been sporadically replaced or replaced with meals that are much less nutritious much less calorie rich Takis. Um, yeah <laughs> things like that like you know, like ramen noodles um and things that are cheap for families to buy and they feed their children's belly but they might not necessarily be the healthiest and the best for child development so thinking of the current situation where we are with covid and <sighs> school have you all done anything any work with schools or really anyone on ensuring some kids are able to eat especially with the closures of schools as we as we speak at least yeah so one of the things that we well we've been pushing for two big things but the first one i'll talk about is the usda child nutrition waivers um so a lot of the school nutrition programs and summer feeding programs operate under the usda um, and whenever the pandemic started, the USDA issued a bunch of waivers that allowed essentially the summer feeding programs to start operating in March, despite it not being summer. Um, and those programs are actually still operating. They've been operating for nine months now, despite not the summer because of those waivers. Um, and then also a big one was waiving the congregate meal requirement. So for summer meals and school meals, they have to be eating in a congregate setting. So kids have to be together. Um, they have to have some type of social emotional activity um, and the idea is that in the congregate setting, kids are still getting that social and emotional need in the summer, a time that can be really, really isolating for a lot of kids. However, in times like a pandemic, you can't have kids together. Um, and so those that has also that requirement has been waived. Um, and we've seen a lot of creativity at schools. We've seen things like mobile meal pantry. I know our No Kid Hungry um, sector of our work, which is run by my coworker Kate McDonald, um, recently funded for. I'm going to mess this up, but the Paducah City School System to get a bus so that they can take meals um, to each kid's house, the meals that they would have been lost during school. Um, and we've seen this throughout the state, um, especially in a lot of more rural and Appalachian communities. Uh, the second thing we've really been pushing for is the pandemic EBT program. That was something that was first authorized under the Family First Act 
um, and then continued under the continued resolution, not the continued resolution that was passed Friday, but the one that was passed before that. Um, and this is essentially an EBT card that is sent to every kid who would have been receiving free and reduced lunch at school, but since they're not in school, they're not receiving it. That receives, a, that has a certain amount of funds depending on how many days kids have been out of school. Um, and it's money that can really replace the meals that kids have lost and also put money into local grocers. So those are two kind of big programs we've been focusing on. So this is just a question on the PEBT yes. um, cards. So do they go out to every student or do they just go to specific ones who at some point were on free and reduced? So they go to every student currently enrolled in free and reduced lunch. In Kentucky, that looks like almost every student in the state. There's only about 133 schools in Kentucky where not every student receives free and reduced lunch. Um, I believe the last number that I saw was 650,000 Kentucky kids so received just it. add the rest of them at that point, just for <laughs> efficiency. But go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I mean, universal school meals and kind of like universal free and reduced lunch is a conversation that I think is coming into the national um, conversation. I know a couple of other states like Vermont are looking into legislation to for um, universal school meals and the Food Research and Action Center is currently forming a state's working group on universal school meals and I think it's going to be part of the conversation in the next child nutrition reauthorization um, that we should have free meals for every child. So a couple questions. Um, I saw, and the reason I asked the first question was I saw a few people in our state who posted pictures of them getting cards and used that as a way to lambast the program saying that I got a card and we don't need this. We have basically saying we have money. Why are you sending this card? This is wasteful government spending. Um, why do you think that would have happened, that someone who didn't need it got a card? And I have my own personal thoughts, but I'd like to ask you first. Yeah, so I think kind of the rhetoric around the PBT program, especially in the second round of PBT, uh, the most recent round for August and September, comes from just a lack of understanding what the card was. A lot of families, especially families who have never received some type of public benefit in their life, didn't understand why they were getting the card. Um, and didn't understand that the card was A, it was money that they... It was reimbursing them for money they wouldn't have been spending if they had been in school. Because if their children had been in school, they would have been receiving free meals anyways. Um, also, the program was kind of designed as a stimulus. You know, it is about making sure Kentucky kids are eight, but it's also about ensuring that Kentucky grocers and Kentucky farmers um, still have money in their pockets and are still able to support themselves, even at a time whenever a lot of families are cash-strapped and where they're seeing drops in revenue. So I think that's where a lot of the backlash about the program came mm -hmm. from just... A misunderstanding about what the program is, a confusion about why they're receiving benefits for the first time in their life, and also the way it was branded not necessarily as the stimulus that it was. And all of that, like I said at the beginning, you know a lot more about this than I do. All of that is very true and accurate. And another piece of that, and that I found a little frustrating in that whole dialogue around the cards that came is had those individuals checked their card balances they were zero um, and then when they did check they didn't have anything on them um, from a an efficiency standpoint it makes more sense to send a card to everyone and then load it as opposed to trying to pick figure out addresses um, figure out amount per address instead of assigning a card to every 
enrolled family and sending it and then loading said card after the logistics part has been handled and so um it was interesting just seeing some of the the conversation from that because it's a, a very necessary program and i would rather um we err on the side of expediency and efficiency so that the families who do need that card even if you don't they're able to get theirs faster because they're not spending all the administrative time trying to go through excel sheets of addresses and matching names and addresses and doing all of this they just sent them all out and then that way the families who need it the most can get it right then so if anyone has talked to someone who has concerns about those cards um, you can say all the smart stuff that Corinna just said or you can just say the common sense piece um, that I said uh, but on that note what if someone is supposed to have a card and they never got it. they've never they haven't heard anything who can people reach out to or how can you do anything with that yeah so that's actually been um a pretty big problem and so the second round at the beginning of august i believe the cabinet was told that they could do a round for august and september um, but they had to submit the or submit their application sometime in september so it was a pretty tight turnaround um, and in that turnaround time, there was a couple schools that did get left off the cabinets list. Um, the cabinet's currently working to rectify those schools and make sure that those kids at those schools have the cards that they need. Um, and they're working to sell those out right now. But if you haven't received the card, I would recommend that you call the Cabinet for Health and Family Services um, Food Benefits Line. Um, so that's under their general hotline. And then select the food benefits option. I can't remember the hotline number off the top of my head, which is shocking considering how many times <laughs> I've given it out. <laughs> well, I mean, you're not in your office at your house right now. so Yes, not at my kitchen table <laughs> with my cats on top of me. Yeah, that's that doesn't sound like a very uh, great working space, but I'm allergic to cats, so that's okay. probably why I would say that. I will say they're not very good co-workers. Um, they're not very good at answering emails. They like to sit on the computer and get in the way, and they're very needy, so I don't know if I would recommend them as secretaries. Mm, well, yeah, I understand. I have a dog who closes the computer when he doesn't want you to be on it, so he's like, no, it's time to play with me instead, and he will close it and then cover it up, and he's like, all right, let's go. Um, Mine like to sit in front of the camera while I'm on Zoom, so I can't see anything, and so other people can't see me, so that they get all the attention. Well, duh. In their head, like, that <laughs> is them getting attention, like stopping me. Well, that's what cats are for, I suppose. <laughs> Again, I am allergic to cats, so zero cats for me. Um, so, with your work, what does what are some of the bigger projects that you all have either done in the past? few years or that you have coming up just some some of the things that you all are working on some of the partners you have and really just more about all the important work that you all do yeah so our main program is called farms to food banks um this program is sustained through a five hundred thousand dollar appropriation to the kentucky legislature um and this appropriation allows us to pay farmers um not pay farmers that's the wrong thing but um cover the cost of transportation pick and pack of farmers to donate produce that they didn't necessarily sell or that's left over uh, to our food banks. We think this is a really awesome program because it puts food in our food banks. It gets fresh produce out to Kentuckians and it also helps farmers not have to take a loss at the end of the season. 
Um, farming and agriculture is pretty notoriously not a very profitable business. Um, and farmers often have to incur a lot, a lot of debt. So I think it's an awesome program and I'm really, really grateful that we are able to help support farmers while also helping support Kentuckians in the fight against hunger. Um, and I think that's something I really, really like about Feeding Kentucky. We have a really, really strong partnership with organizations such as the Community Farms Alliance and the Kentucky Department of Agriculture. Um, and we've really been able to seep our anti-hunger work into agriculture and talk about like how can we create farm systems and local food systems where we're both supporting farmers and also supporting Kentuckians in need and who are hungry. Because um, something I think that often gets lost in conversation um, is that America has enough food to food to feed people. It's just that people aren't getting this excess amount of food. It's like food waste. We really? waste so much food in the United States, like millions of pounds, millions upon billions of pounds every year. Um, so, like, how can we work with our farm and agriculture partners to make sure that leftover food is getting to the hands of Kentuckians? And how can we, like, use this advantage of their farm community and that we have so much food to make sure that everybody has access to that food so that everybody can be the best parent they possibly can be and grow up to be healthy and strong and be the best employee possible. Hmm. I I never knew about the the food portion of it and I I've always suspected food waste was a big issue here. Um I have I have my own thoughts about uh waste when it comes to restaurants and that type of food but anyway um you said that you all got one of your larger programs works off of a 500 the 500 dollar appropriation yes um so just thinking out loud here with the way that in the situation we find ourselves would it be fair to assume that your need um, as in people who need you all to be doing the work you do has increased in the past year. Yeah, definitely. So our food banks have seen across the country about a 60% increase in demand. Um, and in Kentucky, that looks pretty differently. I mean, we've had some counties where it's like only a 10% increase. Um, in these counties, there's already a pretty high need to begin with. However, in other counties, we have 107% increases that we're reporting in the amount of food that we're distributing um, and in the demand which is absolutely massive. I mean, the pandemic has really taken a lot of people who are already living on the edge or who are already just a couple paychecks missed away from falling into poverty, into poverty. And for a lot of people, th this pandemic is the first time they're ever, you know, applying for public benefits, the first time they're ever visiting a food bank. Um, and I think the food bank piece is also really essential because a lot of people, even if they might not necessarily, even if they still have a job, um, and they still feel decently secure, will still visit a food bank because they want to make sure their housing costs are covered. Yep. They want to make sure that they can still put a roof over their head and provide their kids with what they need. Um, and food banks are always going to be available. Food is one of the first to go. I don't know if people are aware of that, but in when presented with, you know, we have to pay rent or pick up food, mm, rent. We have to do um pay for utilities or we can go get groceries utilities it food always seems to be the one that is on the the chopping block that also always is the one that doesn't get picked for preference because it's like okay well we can suck it up and not eat as long as we have somewhere to stay and so i think what you said about people who are decently not even decently 
marginally secure still would visit food banks and need and understand that they're the importance of them being there yeah i mean whenever the pandemic first hit i mean even speaking from personal experience like i still had a job when the pandemic first hit but i got very very worried about costs and like my hours got cut significantly so i visited the free store food bank which is one of our many awesome food banks across the state um and i mean i really relied on that in the first month of the pandemic and that's what we saw was in the first month or two of the pandemic we saw huge 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 amounts of increases at our food banks um However, whenever things like stimulus checks and unemployment came through, we saw those decrease a little bit because people got a little bit more financial security. They had a little bit of that steady income with those unemployment checks. That or their jobs that had been temporarily forelowed came back full time or they just felt more secure that their job wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, So in the first two months of the pandemic, kind of that shock factor, that scare factor definitely hit and we saw huge increases because of it. So... A reason I asked the question about the need right now, um, this is unfortunately a budget year. (laughs) Um, And for people who are really interested in making sure that you all are able to continue to do the work that you do, um, what are some, is it, is it fair to say then that your, your budget and I understand or we understand here what that means about your budget needs to be protected from cuts um, is the is 500,000 do you know is that the standard every budget year or is that just was it just something that happened to come in the last budget or so up until I believe not the budget that passed last year but two budgets ago we had 600 was it two budgets ago I can't think of the year but not this past budget session, but the budget session before that, we actually had $600,000. Um, so whenever the Farms to Food Banks Fund first got stated, we had $600,000. Um, at some point, I can't remember the exact year, the Hunters for the Hungry program took 100000 on appropriation. So Hunters from the Hungry is an organization where people who hunt can donate leftover um, venison and hunted animals to food banks. Venison, how fancy. I know. Well, I've heard I just venison's meant that you, good. I just mean that you're saying venison. <laughs> Is there a different way to say it? Deer? Yeah. Everyone? Okay, I'm from <laughs> Bullock County, and all of my family hunts, and they all call it venison. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's just funny. Like, I, I, yeah, I had no idea. I knew, but I wouldn't have known maybe two years ago. <laughs> I wasn't really around people hunting, but go ahead. I guess not everybody is from Bullitt County. (laughs) I have to remember that. (laughs) Um, But they had that $100,000 appropriation. Um, Unfortunately, they couldn't keep up with the demand for that appropriation. Um, And so that $100,000 portion for theirs was dropped. Um, And I think there's kind of just that precedent that Feeding Kentucky got $500,000. And so the appropriation ever since then has been $500,000. This last budget, the one... In 2020, last year, our um, stopgap one-year budget, yeah, yeah. So that one was a continued 500,000, but this year we're pushing to reinstate that 600,000. And I mean, I think personally, I'd like to see it go higher because the dollar doesn't stretch as nearly as it does or as much as it used to. I mean, food prices go up every year, and especially right now during the pandemic. I mean, we are seeing the highest food prices we've seen in a couple decades. Really? Yeah, food prices have gone up significantly. I know there's a guy I talked to in, I want to say Edward County. Um, no, it's not Edward County. <laughs> it's an, There's well, a guy I talked to in Olive Hill, Kentucky. And I can't okay. remember what county that is from. 
or um in but i mean he tells me about how like he'll pay five six dollars for a carton of eggs like a dozen eggs good god just because the supply chain chain has been severely messed up through the pandemic um yeah olive hills in carter county carter county that's what i'm thinking of near like carter caves and all that yes outside of rowan county you know, got a little Kentucky geography <laughs> going on over here. So but. usually I'm really, really <laughs> on top of counties. I've been to all 120 counties. Um, really? I have been. Fascinating. I know, just by happenstance. But I, like, <laughs> mapped it out the other day, and I've been to all of them. There is a woman in Frankfurt. Um, she, they're doing two things. One, they are, they are trying to go to all 50 states. I remember seeing, going in her office a lot when I was at LRC. They're trying to hit all 50 states, and they have something from the states to, like, map it, but they also are trying to do the 120 counties. And so they're coloring in on a Kentucky board of which counties they've been to with maybe, like, a picture or something of them crossing the county line, which I thought was pretty cool. I love it. Is it a legislator or LRC staffer? LRC staff. Okay. Um, someone who, I think she worked in the front office on the third floor. But I thought it was, I just always thought that was really cool when going in there. No, that is cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I I need to do that. But, you know, it's a lot of time. Kentucky's huge. It is um, huge. I got involved in, like, youth and government and, like, youth civic projects in high school. And that's how I managed to do most of them. That makes sense. I, I've done all of them in Western Kentucky from sports. From, like, Western Kentucky... Uh, Fulton over to probably probably to Hardin County. I've been to all the counties. So that's, that's a pretty I'd say I've portion. hit about 75 of 120. Maybe 90 of one. I'll say 90 of 120. If yeah. I I should go back and look and <laughs> try to count that out. You but built the map. Yeah. I need a map in here. You should. You yeah. should get one. It would look nice. You should put one right behind you. Yeah, I'll put a map there and then color in all the counties. Like, hmm, play football here, basketball <laughs> here, track here. Yes. I I might surprise myself and have more than 90. I kind of want to do it now. So you might. Yeah. You would be shocked how many you've probably driven through. Oh, I've driven through a lot of them. I don't count driving through anywhere as visiting just because I like to. I'm, I'm the same way with saying states i've been to i've driven through a lot of states but i haven't like i have my no gas rule like if i stopped and got gas there it doesn't count yeah um i have to have had one night there if it's another state or at least stopped and had a like something to eat yeah count um some people they're like oh yeah i had a layover on a flight (laughs) in uh i don't know some place billings montana and so yeah i've been to montana like no that doesn't count like you didn't see it you saw an airport which could have been anywhere (laughs) um but the reason i ask about the funding and all of that is is there anything anyone can do to help you all um maintain that maybe calling a legislator or sending an email to house and senate leadership and saying make sure you protect uh this program or you know is there anything that you all want people to do in that regard to just reach out on your behalf maybe yeah so i'm actually working on a toolkit this week it should be done by friday i hope it's done by friday so i can relax a little bit for christmas (laughs) um 
but it'll be up by the end of this week a toolkit about farms food banks and how can you at home advocate like email templates phone number templates um we're gonna have county by county breakdowns of how farms food banks look this includes like how many meals were distributed to the farms food banks program in kentucky but also in each individual county how many farmers in your count in your legislators county did we help support through the farms food banks program um so like i said i'm working on that this week um, we're also having a hunger-free Kentucky Day on January 28th. Um, it's a good day. It is a Five good day. Five days after my birthday. Oh, perfect. We can make it <laughs> hunger-free Kentucky Day slash Terrence's birthday week. <laughs> and Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King. Yeah. That is how... I didn't even think about that. I was close to Martin Luther King week. Yeah. Day. Yeah. See? You... It, it's just... It just it's an action-packed yeah. week. Yeah. It's a, it's a good week. Well, take me out of it, then it makes it a much better week. Um, so I have one more question and then we'll take a quick break. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned you're going to start looking at some of the different things and regionally what some of the work looks like. And then I was just curious because talking especially about farm to table and all of that, um, what does your work right now look like in the Louisville area? Just, it sounds like from some of the things you described that a lot of it, at least from an outsider's perspective, may not have much bearing on people who live here in Louisville. Yeah, so I, I will note that like I started this job four months ago, so I'm still working on like getting connected and <laughs> You don't know it all people. yet? <laughs> yeah, surprisingly not. Um, one group I was recently put into contact with, and I'm going to completely forget their name. I'll look them up during the break, but Louisville has like a essentially healthy food access ag- or urban agriculture coalition. Um that I recently became a part of and I've been working to really connect with them to talk about like what can we do to improve food access in Louisville because I mean I don't think it's a secret to anybody who's been to Louisville that like Louisville really struggles with food access from things like the Feed the West movement where the Westin doesn't have a grocery store which is wild to me that a whole entire region of the city doesn't have a grocery store and like how are we oh you mean like it would be if another city of 60 to what is it now? 80,000 people didn't have a grocery store? Yeah. It's... Huh. Imagine that. I wonder why. Huh. <laughs> Literally. But, like, doing things like how are we addressing food deserts? And I know, like, some of our food banks are doing smaller efforts. Like, I know Dare to Care has a mobile market that goes through the West End a lot that um, is essentially a truck that brings low-cost produce and vegetables and grocery items to different neighborhoods uh, facing food that are considered food deserts. Um, these mobile markets also accept EBT cards because uh, we're trying to make them as accessible as possible. Um, so we're doing smaller work to address things like food deserts, um, but food access is definitely something I'm interested in getting involved in. Um, I know also with the Urban Agriculture Coalition, something they're really looking into is land banks and how can we protect land banks so that we can continue urban agriculture and grow urban agriculture in Louisville um, and build sustainable local food systems. I'm also working on farm to school programs, which JCPS participates some, and like how can we increase the number of schools participating in farm to school and also build awareness around the program so that farmers want to participate, schools want to participate, and it's a viable option so that kids in schools are eating foods that are grown in their backyard. So I'm doing some smaller work. I'm not as ingrained in the Louisville community yet as I'd like to be. Um, a lot of my focus so far has been on COVID relief, yeah. which is Fair. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> It changes every day, so it's a little bit of a lot. Um, and then also getting ready for the state legislature. But I think 
probably after session ends, one of my big pushes is going to be how can we get more ingrained in local governments, especially in, I mean, Louisville is the biggest one. And also, I live in Louisville, so very attached to the city. There we go. You are listening to We and You here on Forward Radio 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org. So we're back with Corinna. Um, Just to pick up kind of where we left off, you were talking about land banks. And I was just wondering if you could explain what you meant by that. Yeah, so my understanding is still a little bit wavy on that one. Like I said, I just started this job. Yeah, (laughs) four months into this job. um, I only recently got connected to Louisville and kind of the existing awesome community organizing work that's going on around urban agriculture and food access here in Louisville. Um, But essentially the city operates a land bank program um, so any housing that is vacant and abandoned, well, not any housing that's vacant and abandoned, but a lot of houses that are vacant and abandoned, in an attempt to kind of get them off the city's hands and put them back into use by people in Louisville, um, the city operates a land bank program. Um, and other cities operate similar ones, but in Louisville, it looks like you can get what, uh, houses for as cheap as a dollar. There's houses um, significantly below market rate. Um, and essentially, you agree to either demolish the existing structure if there is one and develop it for business or commercial or agricultural uses or you agree to fix up the existing structure to make it a home or a business um and it's a great way for to a solve the bank abandoned property problem we have here in louisville um and also get a lot of people use it to start urban farming endeavors um and use it as their farm huh yeah i just you were talking about it and i i have a I worked for Metro Council for a while. I have an understa- uh, a base level understanding, but I just didn't know anyone listening might say, oh, what in the world is she talking about? Yeah, um, it's definitely something that's super convoluted, kind of complicated, uh, local city policy. And I feel like if you're not into very local city-based policy, you probably wouldn't know a lot about land banks. But they are awesome, and they're especially awesome if you're looking to get cheap land and turn it into an urban agriculture endeavor. So another thing that you mentioned um, is farm to school programs. And that just sounds interesting. And so I just didn't know if you wanted to expand a little bit on what that means um, and really just kind of illuminate what farm to school programming is. Yeah, so farm to school is kind of a loose term for the push to get local agricultural local foods into schools um so schools to the national school lunch program serve probably billions of meals to kids every single year um and so in farm to school it is encouraging um school nutrition directors and school districts to get some of that food not from their traditional sources such as the gordon food services but instead from local farmers Um, And a couple of counties in Kentucky do a really, really good job at Farm to School. I was talking to somebody today about a really awesome Farm to School program in Northern Kentucky. However, there are like a lot of logistical challenges. Um, Buying food for schools is just kind of a complicated, convoluted process that I don't think I fully understand yet, um, which can make it difficult for schools to reach out to new sources such as farmers. Um, also, farmers don't necessarily get the same rate of reimbursement for their produce uh, to schools 
um, which is all stuff that I've started working on and that Feeding Kentucky's kind of been involved with for a while of how can we promote local foods in schools and how can we get kids connected to farmers in their community to help a farmers make sure that all their produce is sold and they get kind of that return in their investment um, and also make sure kids are connected to food in their community. Um, I mean, food in your community is always going to be better than food that's shipped from thousands of miles away. Oh, for sure. Unless, you know, it's tasty cookies. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you, you talk, so you, talking about farm to school programs and then that really, you mentioned some of this and I really wanted to spend the rest of our time if it takes that long, and I think some of it could be interesting enough to uh, take a little bit of time in discussing, but just talking about schools, and you mentioned, first off, you mentioned Free Store Food Bank. Yes, so um, that's our food bank out of Northern Kentucky. They're based in Cincinnati, but they serve Greater Cincinnati, a little bit of Indiana, and the Northern Kentucky area. And what specifically do you find um, that you like? about that specific one just because i've heard you mention that before and i just was curious if there was something special or if it was really just the amount of work that they're doing that makes it so impactful and worth the conversation yeah so i mentioned the free store because i was on a call with the northern kentucky safety Lent alliance earlier um this morning so northern kentucky is on my mind today um uh, okay <laughs> but the free store does operate a lot of really awesome programs um like dare to carry they operate a mobile meal market um and they work with the african-american chamber of commerce in cincinnati to identify um areas and neighborhoods in cincinnati that have been disproportionately affected by food access and food insecurity um, and that are considered food deserts to bring those mobile markets into those neighborhoods so that uh, people in those neighborhoods have some access to fresh food. Um, all the food in these markets is priced um, well below market price and they all accept EBT, SNAP cards, TANF money, um, so that it's really, really acceptable, accessible to people. And I think that's one of the really awesome programs that the free store runs. Um, the free store also has a chef's program. Uh, and whenever <laughs> I was in college, so this program essentially trains people to be chefs and um, throughout their training to be chefs, they use, they make the meals for things like the Freezer Food Bank's backpacks programs. Um, and I, whenever I was in college, I ate at the Freezer Food Bank through their chef's program and it is still to this day the best meal I have ever eaten in my entire life. Like, so are you it a is chef so delicious. Now or not? <laughs> not a chef, but the free store is making some. And actually so is Dare to Care while we're on it. They recently launched a community kitchen in the California Parkland neighborhood here in Louisville. Um, that's doing a chef's training program. Um, and that chef's training program is providing the food that they're serving to kids through their backpacks and summer feeding meals. So are they doing that now? Yeah, so they just opened that, I want to say, in March or April. It's right when the pandemic started. Um, and yeah, they're operating now. They're working to make sure that all the kids in throughout Louisville are fed, and they're making sure that they're kind of hot, locally grown meals. I know <laughs> the community kitchen is really, really interesting to Dare to Care because it's a huge processing facility, and they have a lot of capability to like make turn some of the produce that they get through our Farms to Food Banks program and turn into food that can be used much later. Um, I think with Farms to Food Banks, we find that we our food banks have a lot of really healthy, nutritious food um, during the summer and the early fall during growing seasons. And something Dare to Care is doing right now through their community kitchen is taking that produce and turning it into food that can be used year round. So like taking ears of corn and turning them into bagged corn 
um, and food that's a little bit easier for families to use and is a lot more accessible for families who are strapped on time and also so the families have fresh nutritious food year-round huh. um, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was wondering what if there were any programs happening in the Louisville area that were similar or did that farm to school concept so it's good to hear about dare to care doing that in a very important area um, my last question and the, these will be longer it's one question but you can talk about multiple things but I'm curious about some of the school initiatives and food banks and schools and some of the just the different work schools are doing and you mentioned before we were on here obviously but you're very excited about a program in Webster County yeah and I was curious about that and then any other programs so talk a little bit about what's going on in Webster County but then any other programs that you know of that are exciting like that and then things that we could possibly look to bringing to Louisville yeah so schools are really if you're looking at child nutrition schools are the basis for a lot of child nutrition um i mean through the national school lunch program the school breakfast program uh i'm gonna butcher the acronym the child and adult care feeding program like there's so it's an acronym soup of school that wasn't an acronym that was a word so you're good (laughs) (laughs) it is just a plethora of program available to schools. So schools are really on the forefront of feeding kids and ensuring the kids have the nutrition that they need to grow up healthy and strong. So in Webster County, we are doing, or we recently funded through our No Kid Hungry program that my coworker Kate runs. Um, we funded for a sp- full-time Spanish-speaking um, employee to be at the school to do outreach. Webster County has a significant immigrant population, um, and a lot of immigrants are afraid of accessing school meals they're afraid of reaching out when they need help they're afraid of enrolling in benefit programs because of the threat of deportation and the threat of ice Um, and so we paid for them to have a full-time spanish-speaking employee that can do outreach to that community and ensure that those communities are getting the food resources that are available to them um, and that they need Um, and we're running those no kid hungry grants are working in a lot of other school districts as well like i mentioned earlier we recently funded for a mobile meals bus to be in paducah um we've done that in a couple of other areas throughout kentucky um, i think mobile meals is something that we've really really pushed um because in a lot of areas especially in a lot of areas outside of louisville and lexington and the other big cities in kentucky uh one of the biggest barriers to getting meals in the summertime is transportation um in louisville it's a little bit easier because you probably have a summer meal site within a mile of your home that's walkable and you have sidewalks um some places have sidewalks some places that is important distinction but there are options to walk whereas if you're in places like harlan county you know it might be five six ten miles away to the nearest summer food site there's not really central locations like there are in places like louisville and lexington um, so mobile meals is something we've really pushed and we've helped fund quite a few schools to get buses and increase their mobile meal capacity. Um, I'm trying to think of other school programs. I'm forgetting part of your question. <laughs> so the question was about the magnificent program at, in Web- at Webster County and then other similar or just other creative or impactful programs in other schools that you know of or school districts 
Yeah, so also part of Webster County is we're also funding for there to be a food pantry and family resource center um, in their school. And I think that's something a lot of schools here in both Louisville and across the state and really country are starting to adopt. <coughs> schools are a pretty central part of kids' lives. Um, it's the one place parents are guaranteed to be. It's the one place where we're guaranteed to catch kids. So there's been really a big push nationwide, but like I said, also here in Kentucky to put services into schools, um, things like food pantries. I know Dare to Care has been working with quite a few uh, school and community partners to put food pantries in schools and increase the amount of food access and meals that schools are distributing for kids and families. Um, I know in some other states, like whenever we're talking about the resources schools can provide to families, like there are states where there's dental offices in schools and primary care physicians on a rotating schedule that are put in schools because um, that's like I said the easiest place to catch kids. Kids are guaranteed to be in school. It's legally required of them and it's like a mainstay in their life. So really I think that's something I'm super excited about with the school's program is A, increasing mobile meal access and how can we deliver meals to kids directly versus them having to come to a so like a distinct place. Um, and then also like how can we increase the resources in schools and catch more families with things like food access and public benefits and you know I mean the health needs thing I think is something really really cool and really exciting to look into of like how can we use schools as a vehicle for health and making sure kids are healthy so so I know I said that was my last question <laughs> um I have a couple more but they're really simple and open perfect um but the first question is just this is personal for you um well sort of personal what is something you're looking forward to that you all are doing in the next year? Yeah, so something I'm just looking forward to is like I have a new position. Um, I'm the first person to ever be the FC coordinator at Feeding Kentucky, and we've also had quite a bit of turnover. Um, recently, our awesome longtime director, Tamara Sandberg, left. Um, and Tamara did a really awesome job. She was the first set director of Feeding Kentucky, and she kind of built Feeding Kentucky where it is. Um, but I'm definitely excited. We just hired on a new executive director, Katrina Thompson, and I'm excited to see where she'll take the organization and where the organization moves. Um, <coughs> so that's really what I'm most excited about is just the new possibilities with a new position. Um, there's a lot of flexibility in my position since it's never been done before. There's no standards. And then also <laughs> that's kind dangerous. of moving. Yeah, it is. Um, one thing I'm personally really looking into and – um, excited about the possibility in future years of working on is how can we reach kids under the age of five like I mentioned schools are kind of the base for a lot of child nutrition and child feeding programs um, so it's kind of this big gap between you know birth and kids the age of five um, the WIC program and the summer food service programs are really the only nutrition programs feeding kids of that age so what can we do to increase yeah, so I'm really interested in figuring out how can we better outreach, do better outreach to kids um, under the age of five. Especially these kids are pretty vulnerable. I mean, these are, whenever kids are A, like generally the most hectic and the most work, it's whenever kids are the most expensive. I mean, paying for daycare is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I recently found out that like the average American pays like $18,000 a year for daycare. I've and heard that's cheap to some people can... Like comparatively, so yeah, it's I mean, ridiculous. depending on your city, you could yeah. be paying like up to thirty six thousand. Like, yeah, I remember when I worked at KYA, Kentucky Youth Advocates, uh, working on a childcare 
um, program for reimbursement and just looking at the costs in Louisville, um, parts of Northern Kentucky, um, Lexington, it was a little lower, but other, just some of the, the urban areas, it was like very, it was more expensive for childcare than it would be for sending them to college, which is bizarre. Yeah. Um, and so, no, I think that's something good to consider. Um, two questions left. Perfect. I promise. I promise. And one is so simple. But the penultimate question would be, what's something that you want people to know about your organization? Yeah, so I think the big thing to know about feeding Kentucky and food insecurity in general is that food insecurity is a lot more common than people think. There's a pretty significant stigma about being food insecure and actually food benefits and going to a food pantry or food bank. And that's why you probably don't hear about it, but realistically, a lot of the people you're around every day, the people you work with, the people you live nearby are facing food insecurity. Um, it's a very hidden but very significant problem. We estimate pre-pandemic, one in six Kentuckians were considered food insecure. However, in some Kentucky counties, it was as high as one in three. And that was before the pandemic started. Um, so every day, whenever you walk by, you realistically interact with someone who is facing food insecurity, and it yep. might not be people that you always expect. Um, and I think that's something that should be talked about a lot more and that kind of gets lost in that conversation. Also, I think it's important to note that with food insecurity, um, it compounds a lot with so many other issues. I mean, food insecurity exists because of things like the cost of healthcare and the cost of housing. And it's not just a one issue. It's not like, oh, we feed people and now food insecurity dissolves. As long as we have these other issues that coexist with food insecurity and cause Americans to live in poverty, like we'll have food insecurity. So the last question then, how, knowing all of the great things that you all do, how do people get in touch with you or your organization or follow the work that you're doing? Yeah, so if you want to get in touch with me, they can email me at corinna at feedingkentucky.org. Um, I'm really trying to meet new people and get involved with as many things as possible since I just started this position. So I would really love if people reached out um and to be plugged into other works and find other like all the awesome things people are doing across the state i think i'm constantly blown away with how much amazing work organizations and public agencies um and private corporations are doing to address food insecurity across kentucky and make sure our kentuckians are fed um if you want to get involved with feeding kentucky you can check us out on our website feedingkentucky.org on there there are links to volunteer with our local food banks um, there's links to advocate for things like our Farms to Food Banks program and more information about our Hunger Free Kentucky Day that's coming up on January 28th, 2021. Um, and yeah, so visit that page, um, get involved with our legislative advocacy efforts and get involved with our food banks and together, I mean, through advocacy, through small actions such as volunteering food banks, like we really can end hunger in Kentucky. It really is a fixable and solvable problem. Um, and I think it's a problem that would benefit all of us if it didn't exist. And again, that's feedingky.org. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Karina, seriously, for stopping by and talking about this. And hopefully people can learn more about you all and 
hopefully the budget gets protected and increased and maybe somebody listens and reaches out and says, hey, we need more of this in our area and so let's make sure we keep them funded. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for having me. Always happy to talk and always enjoy talking to you. Oh, appreciate it. <laughs> of course. The music you hear throughout this recording was produced by Esquire Music alongside Spice Productions.